a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are my friends Liz and Matt. And we are here to talk about Revenge of the Sith. Now, the first two prequels we watched in sort of like an online chat room because it was the summertime and schedules were loosey-goosey. And then life hit and we had to watch this movie by ourselves. Now, I would argue still that if there's one prequel you have to watch by yourself, this would be the one to do it with um i have long maintained this is the best of the of the prequels uh, i know matt pushed back hard against that before we started this this process so i'm be- correct before we get into specifics generally what did you guys think of revenge of the sith <sighs> I'm trying to think of the right way to put it i knew this question was going to come um it is shallow in so many ways and the points that you think are deep you worry that you're just reading into poor acting and then it never seems to stop that's hmm. how i would describe wrench the sith Liz? I, I, I agree with matt i also agree with brian in that i feel like this was probably the best movie to watch alone I, I think I also agree in that I enjoyed this one the most. And by enjoy, I mean there was still perhaps a low level of enjoyment. And I, I think part of the reason why I enjoyed it is just because so many things about it were just so wild or ridiculous <laughs> yeah. in so many ways. <laughs> I, I will say watching it in 2020, some things make a lot more sense just comparing it to modern day politics and like the rise of QAnon as you watch you're like how could anyone believe this is happening it's like oh no this is happening right now (laughs) in our world people are refusing to see what's happening in front of their face okay okay that makes actually more sense than I thought it used to so it's funny so I last watched this movie I guess about a year ago maybe and there was something that jumped out at me and I never noticed it before, and I want to see if you guys notice it. In the crawl, in the beginning, it talks about it. First of all, it begins war, uh, but then <laughs> it says at one point. I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> but then it says there were heroes on both sides, mm-hmm. which sounds mm. a lot like a certain president's comment about a certain event in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yeah, uh, which is a weird, weird, and obviously George Lucas could not have been referencing that, but it's <laughs> it's a very oh, weird, very weird parallel. Yeah, uh, to have here. Um, so let's do this. I I kind of mapped out like six or seven major elements of the film, and yeah. uh, they they're more or less chronological. But I wanna I wanna just kind of you know talk about these. I think it's easier to talk about this movie thematically than it is like plot-wise. Like you said, Matt, so much happens in the first hour or so, and then the last hour mm-hmm. is just sort of cleaning up the mess of the first hour slash putting things <laughs> in place for episode four. Yeah, because um, we, we get introduced to one new character who has maybe 10 minutes of screen time. 
<laughs> and who is that? Uh, Grievous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about Grievous in a little bit. So I, I, yeah. I want to talk about uh, the action in this movie first. I think that the opening sequence of um, Anakin and Obi-Wan and they're, they're fighting the buzz droids and then getting onto Count Dooku's ship – I think that is the best space battle in in the first in, in the prequels. Do you guys agree with that? I really have fun with that sequence. I I will 100% give you that. Yeah, I think it's one of the better better openings that Star Wars has. I I 100% agree. I wrote in my notes that the starting battle is a welcome relief to maybe other battles in the, in the other prequel movies. Yeah, it's fast-paced. It also looks really good. Like it doesn't have the sort of um, like horrifying Yoda puppet from episode one vibe, <laughs> nor does it have the like, this is clearly in front of a blue screen, um, you know, fake vibe of Attack of the Clones. It looks really good. It's, it's, the vi- it's probably visually the best battle in the prequels, as well as being exciting and fun. And you get to see Anakin being actually good at something <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, the rest yeah. of this movie he just sucks so hard but you, <laughs> you, you see him here like he's he's trying to get the buzz droids off with the nose of his ship and mm-hmm. he wants to go back and help other people like this is this is clone wars anakin the first yeah. 15 minutes are or first 10 to 15 minutes are clone wars anakin and i really see love him that. be legitimately heroic yes yeah that's very true. I also felt like they really dug in hard with making Obi-Wan seem like an old man here where he says things like flying is for droids and things <laughs> like, oh, dear, to show a contrast between him and Anakin here. And he doesn't know how to use a cell phone. Just keeps yelling <laughs> yeah. into it as R2-D2 tries to hide. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Can you call me after nine? I have free. Ni- I can't do it for action. I, was like, I have free nights and weekends. I was going to say. I was trying to do an Obi Wan accent. I couldn't do it. It's kind of like a Beatles accent. Like, ooh, ooh. That was the Beatles. Yeah, I, I can't. All of my British accents turn into John Lennon at some point. So I'm just going to move on from that. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that 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 opening sequence is really, really good and really, really fun. Even just like the way that they have to crash land on the ship as the door is closing. That's very much like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, reach back for the hat moment. Like there's just mm-hmm. it, it's a really fun action packed sequence that like when I when I started watching this, I was like, Matt and Liz can't disagree this isn't the best prequel. Look at this. <laughs> Look at this scene. You know? Yeah. Um and then yeah, Count Dooku does a flip, a left. Yeah. and then Count Dooku, Dooku does a flip off of a balcony for no reason, and I'm like, "Up oh, here we are again." Okay. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my, my old friend. Have doubled since the last time we met. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. This this Archie does get kicked in the nuts, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, but th- this whole sequence is is just real weird. Like it's, I. I don't know why George Lucas loves the idea of old people flipping, but like throughout this movie, Aww. three different old people do, do some, some flippy shit yeah. for really no reason. Um, and Dooku's just like talking like a normal guy. He's like, I'm Christopher Lee, I'm dope. And then he just flips off of a, a balcony for no reason. It's like, oh, cool parkour, bro. <laughs> I just don't yeah. get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess- Go ahead, an Liz. awkwardly, an awkwardly sexually charged lightsaber battle. 
I have in my notes, Palpatine is rock hard the entire time. <laughs> well, at one point they show me because he goes, yeah, like that. <laughs> he lets out this yeah. like, little breathy, uh, like, in- in- encouragement, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's my second favorite Palpatine thing in the whole movie. We'll talk about my favorite thing later. Um, Liz, what were you going to say about this sequence? Ooh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I kept thinking back to, I, I feel as if there are a good deal of flips in the sequel trilogy and i was like i i think i liked those but here the flips are terrible yeah the bad flips bad flips all bad flips yeah <laughs> so let's see yeah, all... the, the problem is they peaked early with darth maul where yes. you're like oh this is very fitting with this character and then everyone started flipping yeah like a young obi-wan should absolutely be flipping around Yes. He's a kid. He has a rat tail. Flip, dude. But like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> old men have no no reason to flip. Um, so so that, that leads me into my discussion of the non-Palpatine villains in this movie. So Count Dooku was given like 10 minutes of screen time in Attack of the Clones and was more or less fine in that movie. He's It's not a great character, but, but it's... You can see the potential for growth if they use the first half of Revenge of the Sith to be a sort of a Dooku uh, vehicle. But mm-hmm. they, they do nothing with Dooku. They, they, they make him a, a reasonably powered Sith Lord who then gets decapitated by Anakin. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But <laughs> yeah, he was killed as an unarmed prisoner, which is yes. my favorite pun in the movie. Because <laughs> I cut both of his hands off. Yeah, I... Oh, I get it. There we go. Were you waiting for that, Matt? I was. I was. <laughs> um, who doesn't love a good pun, right? Um, but yeah, the um, the whole Dooku situation just furthers my belief that that George Lucas has no idea what to do with villains. Um, what's the purpose yeah. of not having Dooku? I, I guess the purpose, like from a storytelling perspective, is you want to see Anakin kill him because you want to begin Anakin's descent into the dark side but that's forgetting he slaughtered a village full of people a movie ago like I don't think you need to further make the case that he's a little unhinged yeah we'll talk about that later like we see him kill a group of children twice Uh, yeah and only one time it sticks like I don't (laughs) yeah 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 but yeah but also why did you need to add in like I enjoy Grievous as a character in the Clone Wars. I think he is a character that we have not fully explored yet that has really interesting backstory, um, but he has no purpose. Why do you add a second-tier villain just to knock off both villains in quick succession? Yeah, couldn't couldn't the whole Grievous element been taken up by Dooku here? Yeah. Just make him escape mm. the ship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, make him fly into space. Who cares? Like, Leia but can do it. Whatever. Doesn't who would matter. Have, who would have been introduced on a can of Pepsi, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the marketing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and it also his, I I didn't I forgot to look into the chronology of it, but there's important pieces of his backstory that are in the cartoon show that's no longer canon. Yes. Which mm. then it just introduces him as some robot with emphysema. Right. Like, his character makes no sense with that part now snipped out, and they have never gone back and fixed that. It's it's, it's all just very, very strange. And and I think that the reason that they wanted to have these second-tier villains besides Palpatine is because 
you, you, you sort of need to add some action to Star Wars at times. And mm-hmm. I think they overcompensate for that because, like, I mean, look, is it is it goofy fun to see Obi-Wan ride a fucking dinosaur around? Like, sure, it's goofy fun. <laughs> but there's no reason for him to be riding a dinosaur around. Just <laughs> no. like there's really no reason for Yoda to go to Kashyyyk. Mm. You know? Uh, yep. Uh, yep. It doesn't really serve any, any purpose, but you got to show some Wookiees, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's really no reason for... For this battle with with Dooku, ultimately, you know, it would be one thing if Anakin spent the rest of the film regretting what he did to Dooku, but he basically his regret for Dooku is is the same level of regret when you're like, was I too hard on my friend the other night? We were arguing about our favorite movies, and I called the Shawshank Redemption overrated. Was I too mean to them? Like he he laments it for like ten seconds and then moves on. Even, yeah, well, but, and Nani, he, he flips, too, because he he decapitates Dooku, and then, he, theoretically, his whole tumble to the dark side is Mace Windu wanting to kill Palpatine. Exactly. Yeah, like, by the time that him and Obi-Wan are back on Coruscant, and uh, Obi-Wan's like, you killed Dooku, you saved the day, you'd think if, if the point was to show his remorse, he should have said, like... Yeah, but he should have stood trial. It's it's the Jedi way. Because later on, he says to to Mace Windu, "It's not the Jedi way to kill him." So you would think that it would be a great bit of like foreshadowing for him to say to Obi Wan, "We should have just taken him in. That's the Jedi way." Like that, that yeah. would have that, that also would have shown that he has some long term remorse for this, not just a quick like, "Oh man, I shouldn't have done that." Yeah, you know, I got a ca- caught up in a moment with an old dude licking his lips. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, that is the first of of about six thousand times that uh, Palpatine just does weird vocal inflections. <laughs> so he's talking, he's you know, he does his yes thing or whatever, and then he just goes, he's talking like this, do it. Like all of a sudden, his voice <laughs> drops down, like he's a Mountain Dew commercial. He's <laughs> like, yeah. do it, and uh, it's it's there are some yeah. bonkers acting choices in this movie. He also he also starts doing this weird out of nowhere Palpatine face where he just stands there with his mouth open, <laughs> just staring for no reason. I don't know. I don't again. They're trying to bridge the gap between him and the Emperor, but that it just is creepy. He he's we're gonna come on to this again. He's just a, a creepy old pervert. That's what this movie plays it out, out to look like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, any thoughts about anything up until the death of Dooku? We didn't get to yet. Mm-mm. Liz? No. Okay. So then we, we were on Coruscant, and we see Obi-Wan really, really proud of Anakin. And it's a really nice scene, the way he talks about Anakin. And he teases him about basically being comfortable with politicians while Obi-Wan is, you know, is averse to that. We see him and um, Padme reconcile and whether where they argue about how how in love with each other they are it's like, no no i love you more like it's it's some it's waiting some, in the shadow of a pillar yeah it's some real 13 year old uh mash note yeah. bullshit and um but you know the first like third of the movie is so hopeful like you get the sense that they might be able to actually um might be able to win this war they mm-hmm. might be able to raise their child in a in a peace in a peaceful galaxy where they can be together, 
you get the idea that Obi-Wan is really proud of Anakin and that Anakin is starting to show people that maybe he is the chosen one. Like there's this there's this real optimism to the first quarter to third of the movie. Mm-hmm. And while I like that, it's then like a switch is just flipped at a certain point and everything is hopeless. Yeah. It's strange. But but with, but with uh, yeah, without a like movement, it doesn't it the, it the, it just shifts with no real understanding of the tipping point. It seems like it's almost like when Padme tells Anakin that she's pregnant. Well, I mean, it, that that's sort of the ticking time bomb, then, right? Like yeah. they recognize that something has to change before the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's one of those scenes where I'm like, is is there subtlety here, or can they just not act? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who who used to write Padme's lines that they fired. That she's <laughs> now just this weird, baby crazy nothing of a character. Well, that's the thing. After she tells Anakin that she's pregnant and we find out she's pregnant, she just like disappears and shows up every once in a while just sitting around. Stares out that window and cries. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, any agency that character has goes out the window at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a bummer. Uh, I also think that there's there could be a lot of interesting things with Padme that are just not done here. Like, you know, I keep going back to the book we've read because we ha- we now have a-, a much greater understanding of the character. But, like, for a character mm-hmm. that is so engaged in civic duty, the fact that she's willing to give up being a senator to be a mother should be a big deal in the story. She, she should say to him, like, you know, I'm willing to give up my dream to be a mother she never really says that it's it's mm-hmm. it's borderline implied but that would have given up that would have given such depth and such heartbreak to how the pregnancy actually ends well that's the thing like her motivation or w- what she's all about is never really clear right it seems it, she, it's like she's just floating through this movie almost yeah and she, she at one point is sort of a separatist and then yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. is just you know, know where that comes from and goes nowhere. Yeah. Then again, she's like paces around her apartment, I guess, um, waiting for Anakin. Yeah. Which is so sad for a female character who you were like ramping up with so much in the last movie that now you and she. I don't know. It just all falls apart. It falls and you're always apart. supposed yeah. to be... Yeah, sorry. You're also supposed to always have this idea that, like, she's in danger. She's in danger. Um, but she's not. She's not doing anything. It, just because he has a nightmare where she, he sees her giving birth and doesn't really understand what birth is. Because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Her whole, yeah. whole storyline seems like an unfortunate understanding of and misunderstanding of childbirth and motherhood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she turns from like a powerful senator into a very, you know, pathetic woman who dies of sadness when her man is gone. Yeah. And, and not not even not only that, but, you know, like <laughs> Bell Organa adopts Leia at the end and he does not have to give up being a senator because he is now a parent but the implication I mean <laughs> Palpat- uh, Pad- Padme yeah, yeah. Padme says like 
the queen probably won't let me be a senator anymore. Like, what's that sexist bullshit there? Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, your female-led planet is going to pull you off duty because you have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it seems so antithetical to all things Star Wars in so many ways. Yes. Yeah, it seems very George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways, that is, that is absolutely true. Um, <laughs> all right, problem solved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is there any other you know, we'll talk about Padme's actual death at the end of the of the episode but is there any other Padme stuff you want to talk about? I think she looks great with the curly hair. Her hair is on point this film. <laughs> she does look wonderful. The the like the triple braid at the end is fantastic. The curly hair is fantastic. She looks great and is just garbage. So <laughs> love some Padme fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Um Okay, so after Padme, the next character I want to talk about is... I want to talk about Obi-Wan for a minute here. Uh, you guys pointed out that Obi-Wan is is sort of stylized through dialogue to appear to be older. That There's, there's a real parallel here drawn between Obi-Wan, the Jedi Master, and um, Anakin, the... He, I guess he's he's still an apprentice, but not really. He's definitely a full fledged Jedi by this mm -hmm. point. He's not a Jedi Master yet, but I think that Obi Wan just continues to be both because of the performance of Ewan McGregor, but also because of the writing, just continues to be the best part of the prequels. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. is the, the character is is very well drawn. He's smart. He's not overly reactionary like. One of the things that bothers me about Mace Windu is that Mace Windu has two modes in these movies. He either doesn't give a fuck or he gives every fuck. Like there, <laughs> he, he is almost never tempered in his reaction. The way Obi Wan delivers, not Obi Wan, he's not a person. The way Ewan McGregor delivers the line, "Anakin's the father, isn't he?" He doesn't say so like oh. in a like heart, in an angry way. He doesn't say so in a surprised way. He's put this together and he's just. He's lamenting the, this this reality, and it's 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 such yeah. a great line delivery, and that's the best moment in the prequels. I will go on record as that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. That when he turns there and says, "Because that's not the whole line. The whole line is Anakin's the father, isn't he? I'm so sorry." Yeah. And he walks off, going to murder his brother and the father of her child. Like that's the weight he is taking on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's the Obi Wan in this film. He is in control. He is in charge. He is ending the war single handedly, um, and he's just a badass. Every moment he's on screen, a real, real far cry from the rat-tailed kid <laughs> in the first movie. Yeah, and again, as we talked about a lot, maybe the only character that really has any sort of character development, any growth between the films. Liz, Whether that be acting or writing, you know? Right. Liz, what do you think of Obi-Wan in this in this film? I mean, I agree with what everyone has said here. I'm not sure I can even add much more, to be honest with you. Um, another line he has that I enjoy or I think is great is when he says, our allegiance is to the Senate, not to its leader. Uh-huh. He's just, you know, he's a character that I feel like I would want to be on my side. And to guide me. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at when you think of like what what Anakin what Anakin was supposed to be to the Jedi, like on one hand you have this um you you have this kind of kooky madman who wants to train him, and everybody else says no, we don't we don't want to train him. And then Obi-Wan says, no, I'll, I'll take this upon myself. And he kind of fucks it up. Like, he, you know, he does say in this movie, like, I failed you, Anakin. And you get the sense that, like, you know, like Dave Filoni said, he needed a father, not a brother. But, but Obi-Wan mm-hmm. gives Anakin everything he has. He, he gives him absolutely everything that he can. And it's because of that that so much happens. Like, you know, we'll get to the last scene in a little while. But uh, this this watch of the film was the first time I realized that the reason the galaxy is able to be saved in Return of the Jedi is because Obi-Wan loves Anakin. Because mm. if he had killed him there, Luke would never have been ter- Luke would never have been able to save the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And like his his empathy and his love for his brother, even though he knows the right thing to do is to kill him, he do, he can't do it, and so it's because of his love for Anakin that the galaxy is eventually saved. There's just there's such depth to the character. It's it is such a well written character. It is so good, and I think that this movie gives you just like just moment after moment of the realization that Obi Wan is the best character in in the prequels, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the in my opinion top two or three characters in all of Star Wars. Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah, and it it and and, and seeing watching this dovetailing with the idea that you talk about Luke as learning that the way of the force is not combat, not through fighting. He wins all of his battles through not fighting. He learns that from Obi-Wan who has fought his entire life being the master swordsman winning the fights and still losing and having that transferring into Luke um, is just a really cool continuation. It is. It is. Um, Obi-Wan's the best. That's all there is to it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Obi-Wan is also the first person to really smell bullshit when it comes to Palpatine. Like he, he, he sort of tells Anakin before he's, even uh, appointed as on the council because of Palpatine, like you know, you're getting a little too close, too close to this guy. Like, yeah. just, just just back off here, and you know, of course, Anakin doesn't listen at all. <laughs> um, but that's you know, that's Anakin. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's do this. Let's take a break, and we come back. We're gonna talk about Anakin and Palpatine and their uh, their bromance or or courtship or or. Grooming, grooming. Or yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah. I, I have the word grooming written like three times in my notes. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, we're Panels in Motion, a monthly podcast where we read a comic, watch its movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. We focus on a wide variety of non-superhero comics. One month will be an American independent comic like The Mask or Kingsman. 
The next will be a European comic, like Persepolis or Tintin. And the next will be a Japanese manga, like Lone Wolf and Cub or Silent Voice. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And I'm a cinematographer. So we all have different perspectives on why an adaptation might or might not work. We're also a show where a discussion of Middle East education or the sexual revolution can take place alongside a discussion of the pros and cons of Jim Carrey's face. There is truly something for everyone. So check us out. Go subscribe to Panels in Motion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And follow us at Panels in Motion on Twitter and Instagram. See you soon. So let's talk Palpatine. Um... Sheev, let's let's call him by his name. Sheev. Um, so he he is grooming, he is grooming Anakin in such a fucking creepy way throughout this whole movie. You mean the one he refers to as his far younger apprentice? Uh, yeah, as he brags to Grievous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's just. There's a lot of like, you know, just building him up and telling him how great, how special their relationship is and, you know, how much you can learn from me. But it's 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 really bad. Um, I will say, though, while this film has a lot of really creepy Palpatine Anakin scenes, I think everything about the the legend of Darth Plagueis is really well done. I think that there's so much ambiguity in that story. You don't know if he's lying to Anakin to mm-hmm. to to just get him to come to the dark side. You don't know if Palpatine is the apprentice who killed Pelagius. Like every that the, the story is really vague and 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 enticing and the way that Ian McDermott like acts that scene just really walks this line of 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 creepy and brilliant and you you don't know what's true and what's not true. I think that's a really really good scene. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and I think that's where he really I mean, that's where he really ropes Anakin in. He's telling him exactly what he wants mm-hmm. to hear at exactly the right time. Um, and you know the things he's done before just almost led up to this moment. Yeah. It, it... Yeah, I think grooming is the right word. Like, he knows exactly what to say to convince him to break down his objections, to help twist his morals. Um, He just takes advantage of this very confused kid um, and just molds him into, I mean, physically at the end of the movie, molds him into this... um, you know, perfect apprentice for himself. And it's just, it's, it would be sadder to see if the character of Anakin was in any way more likable. Um, but still, it, it, it's just creepy to see. Yeah. That's a big part of it too, is I think that it's maybe emotionally not as hard hitting, at least for me, because Anakin is not likable. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah. Right. And, and the closest we get to likable Anakin is the first 10 minutes of the movie, but then it, it so quickly undoes that, that you're really not able to enjoy Anakin all that much. Whereas mm-hmm. you should be able to. It, 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 there, there should be, this story is tragic. 
imagine how much more tragic it could be if it was well written though <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that's what I think every time I watch these prequels and you know every time when Anakin falls I wish I liked him and I wish I felt sympathy for him and I wish it made me sad that this is what it's you know he comes to in the end did yeah. watching it, the clone wars liz help that at all it it did it made me more hopeful um and i i think it did help a bit what's hard though is that the the anakin of the clone wars is almost not present in that in the films mm-hmm. yeah there's no real glimmer of that anakin anywhere no What's interesting is that you're you're gonna see in the in the seventh season of the Clone Wars stuff is happening almost concurrently with this film. Really? There, there are some scenes that are concurrent that you're seeing a different perspective of scenes from this film, and so that mm-hmm. that puts a little bit of a finer point on it. But but I mm-hmm. think you know I, I do think it's very hard to watch this and think that the the cardboard acting you're seeing is the same person like there's that shot of of uh, ahsoka walking away from anakin in the season five finale like when she decides to leave where he's just broken he's heartbroken Mm -hmm. by her by her loss and you never see anakin that vulnerable in these films ever no i mean there's a lot of different things not even that that this movie has so many plot points that as you watch it you're like wait wasn't there a clone wars episode pretty much about that that did this better it's so interesting to watch because even like you're talking about the hopefulness the season seven finale has that hopeful moment and then crushing blow far deeper than this shows when they show like the rest of what's happening in these films like it 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 just shows that in different hands this could have been great um yes. and it just falls really flat. Yeah. Um so let's talk a little bit more about Palpatine here. Um what I don't understand about Palpatine is how he is so like so they say how powerful he is as a Sith Lord and I buy all of that. I I buy that I mean you know there's there's even an implication in the Darth Plagueis scene that maybe Palpatine is the one who created Anakin that he he you know, messed with mm-hmm. midichlorians to create life. Like, there's all that there. Yet, he just straight up, like, mercs three Jedis with a lightsaber without doing anything all that special. Like, I don't understand why, <laughs> if the point of showing how how powerful he is, why not just have him just, like, stand there and stare at them and have them pass out because he's choked them out? Or, yeah. or, or anything that's just, like, a cool Sith thing to be able to do. He just, like, does shitty lightsaber moves and destroys these Jedi. It makes no yeah. sense. It's really bad. I, I have the written down that that's the worst lightsaber scene in all of Star Wars. Wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it's bad. And then anytime he discusses the power of the dark side, it's just lightning. <laughs> like, and again, I know the movies are very small and they can't show everything, but even in the sequel trilogy, where we start to scratch at this idea that the dark side is so much more than you understand. It is Sith witches. It is resurrection. It is, you know, universe bending power. And then we default at the end to just lightning. I mean, think I don't about, know the obsession. Think about in The Force Awakens, this, the first thing we see Kylo Ren do that's interesting is he stops a blaster b- bolt. And yes. like, do That's something great. like that. 
you know, <laughs> something. Come on, man. It's just it's it's all there. But the unlimited power, Brian. <laughs> right. Unlimited, unlimited power. power. I have written down here, motherfucker literally says unlimited power. (laughs) In my notes. After the great psych out, I'm just a poor old man. That was something I I wrote down is there are so many different lines that I feel like are memorable and they all from the um, prequels and they all come from this movie. (laughs) Like, hello there. Yes. Yes. Or I am the Senate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unlimited so power. Or so I have the high ground. Yeah. Uh, the high ground thing to... bothers me so much. We'll talk about that later. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, also, there's this one little bit. I, I kind of want to like just do a super cut of all the times that Palpatine is turned on by the dark side in this movie. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the first time he says the word dark, the, the term dark side to Anakin, he goes like, oh, at the end. He goes like, you know, I've been trained in the ways of the dark side. Oh. Just like, it's like, just like Robin Williams or something. It's a very, very sexually way, sexualized way yeah. to say dark side. And it's like he, he is just so horny for power this whole movie. Um, yeah. You know. And then the, the last third of it, once he, once he, uh, re, uh, you know, shows once he's his a California form, raisin. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I didn't remember him grunting as much as he does. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that's a Disney Plus thing, but he co- he sounds like a deadite from Evil Dead. Yeah, just constantly like, <laughs> like for no reason, just standing up. <laughs> it just makes no sense. That was something I wrote down. And also, like, at the end, he's just laughing too much. His maniacal laughter is out of control. In the first Disney Muppets reboot, there's a character that goes, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. And that's essentially what Palpatine does in this movie. Yeah. Like, when he's fighting Yoda, it's too much. Yeah. 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 And again, he, he, we can talk. At the end of the movie, it just stops making any sense. Because, again, the carefully groomed apprentice he has is like, my job for you is to kill these little kids and then a dozen other people, and they're going to stick you in a robot suit and make you fly around the universe. It's like, what? (laughs) How is that your long-term plan? So I actually want to talk about Palpatine's plan. Let's just do it now. So I think (laughs) that Palpatine's plan is actually for Anakin to die. Like, mm. I, I think that he basically thinks I'm going to – the Anakin's going to bring down – because it, what are we always told? That Sith are inherently selfish and don't want to share anything. Mm-hmm. So he's grooming Anakin because he knows that Anakin can take down the Jedi Order basically more effectively and more in secret than he can. And then he expects mm-hmm. him to die and and then to have the power uh, like brought all to him. Then, you know, when he makes him into Darth Vader, I feel like one of the things that I never really understood, unless you look at it as Palpatine being, like, extra evil and maniacal, is you've seen, like, all the technology in Star Wars, and basically Darth Vader's technology looks like it's a generation removed from that. Like, it's an Mm old-fashioned thing. And it's like, you you see, even when you look at just, like, Anakin's fake hand he has in this movie yeah. that's way more advanced than the darth vader suit so maybe maybe that once when he didn't die 
he was worried about him being able to like you know to grow in power and so he handicaps him by putting him in this yeah this out there 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 is this hint that he's kind of like a lobotomized version of anakin yes um so yeah i wonder hmm. yeah because what would because he already did away with his first apprentice right i'm trying to think of the other sith that are even running around it could just be maul at that point yeah and he's not even really a sith at that point yeah well, and Anakin is just so naturally rebellious, and Darth Vader is not. Mm-hmm. Right. Although, to be fair, I mean, at, in Empire, he's already talking about overthrowing the Emperor. He tells he tells Luke, like, you know, we'll do this together. But you know, he yeah. also he also told Padme that, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, yeah. 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 He does have other. Yeah, and that's and that's also where the the Sith whole thing falls apart. The rule of two, because he also has other Jedi working for him. He has he has the Inquisitor at this point because we've already seen Ahsoka be framed. Uh-huh. Um, like people exist, it just you know none of it matters. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> rule of two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my favorite Palpatine moment happens in his fight with Yoda, where Yoda does like the world's biggest Jedi push. And he just go Palpatine just goes ass over tea kettle into his chair. Like it is it is the weirdest thing. I don't know why they felt the need to show it. And it looks like it's an old man stunt double. It like sometimes you look at a stunt double and you're like, oh, that's clearly somebody twenty-five years younger than the actor. No, this looks like a like a middle-aged man just like tripping over his, his printer wire at his yeah. desk and just like going into his computer chair and just falling backwards. Yeah. That's it's like an America's but, but, funniest home videos moment. But because, because the thing is spinning, yes. that's the only difference. Yoda spends an yeah. hour spinning it around before throwing it, and that somehow makes all the difference. Yeah. Oh, that one hundred percent stood out to me. I was like, "What's with this chair business?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these two old men just like dragging their asses away from the fight after getting tired of throwing things at each other. From, yeah. like, from flips to tripping over your chair. Yeah, that's like. Just pick up the lightsaber and fight. What do you, you can run away? You know, it's the it's power of the Sith. Come on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks like an infomercial. When you know, when when in the beginning of every infomercial, how somebody falls in a ridiculous yeah. way, that's that's what Palpatine yeah. does in this scene. Yeah. yeah, well, he does exclusively wear long dresses this <laughs> that entire is, film. That is true, that is true. He's tripping over his flowy. bullshit. Yeah, with increasingly larger shoulder pads. Yeah. Um, I see a massive power. It becomes power. a ridiculous Madam Butterfly thing by the end of it. It's wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just have a couple more notes before we get into the, the sort of the end game and the Anakin stuff. Um, Liz, this is a note specifically for you. In, oh, this, right. in, the, in the scene where General Grievous is in that like weird motorcycle in a in a sphere thing. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, okay. I'm ready. I know what you're going to ask. What, what am I going to ask? Tell me. Is it about Indiana Jones? No, it's not actually. Oh, okay. Go ahead, I, then. I thought that the score in that scene sounded like a Star Trek score. Oh, specifically the, the episode where Spock fights Kirk. <gasps> yeah, that exactly. One? Yes. That one. Mm, when they fight with the giant Q-tips. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
they were using the electric Q-tips. Yes, so. and that that also yeah. adds to it. So that's why I was I wasn't sure if it was just me connecting it or if that was like a little homage there. So next time it's on TV, just just pay attention to the music in that scene and tell me if I'm right if I'm wrong or not. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. Maybe I'll check it out on Disney Plus uh, shortly, maybe after yeah. this. Okay. No, I was thinking about uh, an Indiana Jones when uh, he's with his dad on the motorcycle. And he, and he, and he jams to... it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You call this archaeology? No, that's all right. That's later in the movie. He says that. <laughs> um, all right, so see, I got Grievous. that. Uh, yeah, Grievous. Um, yeah, how did, little did you know that the main villain of all of Clone Wars, his weakness was that his heart is just <laughs> exposed. loosely hanging behind his breastplate yeah <laughs> also that's one another one of my favorite lines in the movie is when grievous says i've been trained in your jedi arts mm-hmm. and then just spins his hands around like helicopters <laughs> it's like that is not jedi art what the hell are you talking about just spinny hands yeah, yeah. his arms get cut off immediately yes they do by the way also like did did lucas like did he get his hand cut off once and never forgot it? Because just in this movie alone, let's let's recap the hands that are lost. Both of Dooku's hands, like four of of Grievous's hands, Mace Windu's hand, um, one of Anakin's hands again. I think like. I'm, I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah, it was, the yeah. two legs in the one hand. Yeah, because he just has the robo arm. That's how he crawls himself up after the fire goes out for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just lo- just hands upon hands upon hands, just <laughs> being lost here. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else in our notes before we get to Anakin stuff? Um. No, I just think Order 66 is really poorly portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's hinted at, well, Order 66 is sort of like the beginning of the wiping out of the Jedi, not the conclusion of it. Right. And this movie doesn't really show that very well, although it alludes to it. Um, and it's just, again, it would have been a more impactful scene if we saw any Jedi we gave a shit about dying. Right. But now it's just like, oh, that blue one that doesn't wear a lot of clothes. The guy with the big head. But that, that's like, the problem okay. with, with the prequels is that the only people that you're supposed to care about in the prequels are the people who survived to the original trilogy. Almost, <laughs> yeah. almost no characters introduced in the prequels have any sort of role in in the films. They really don't. Like, you know, yeah. if, if Qui-Gon had survived, imagine the depth of emotion uh-huh. – for Qui-Gon being killed in Order mm-hmm. 66. Yeah. Yeah. Not just have him die and like, oh, by the way, at the end, guess who I'm ghost besties with? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Qui-Gon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're killing decent villains, but not decent heroes, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the things I noted about Anakin in this, in this watch is that like everybody is rightly so bummed out when Anakin turns to the dark side but nobody says like nah that guy everyone kind of buys it they're like oh yeah okay yeah it was a a matter of time before that dude snapped like everybody's just kind of like like resoundly like oh yeah okay why I can see that you know Um, except for Padme yeah but even she says like I don't more kids you died I don't like this path you're starting down (laughs) yeah yeah you're like Um, what but but I think that the, the the worst part about this movie is that 
Anakin's turn to the dark side is so unbelievably abrupt. Like, he goes to fucking Mace Windu, like, five minutes before killing him, <laughs> and says, like, hey, we gotta take out the Sith Lord. And then yeah. and then he's like, no, I, I guess not. Uh, I, you know, um, and obviously, the idea is that, because he says, I need him. And he needs him because, he's, because he thinks Padme's gonna die. And so he mm-hmm. needs him to save Padme. And so I understand that you're supposed to see that struggle there, but there's like five moments in the movie where Anakin is you can you can see the beginnings of his turn to the dark side, but ne- but it never they never connect to one another. There's the mm-hmm. killing of Dooku. There's the realization that Padme is pregnant. There's not being named the Jedi Master. There's all these moments where if you had strung them together in any sort of of decent narrative, you could see the progression of of the indignity he feels that he is suffering that will lead mm-hmm. him to the dark side. But after each of those things, he rebounds and almost rebounds like stronger. Like Obi-Wan says to him, like, you're going to be a Jedi master soon. You're the youngest ever on the council. They're, you're gaining, mm-hmm. they're gaining respect for you. They, there's, there's never really a moment where you begin to see his descent. You see what's offered to him. You see why mm-hmm. he would turn but you don't see how he's turning. It's so abrupt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it it re- it makes very very little sense. Um wh- I mean, it leaves you with two outcomes. Either his turning is nonsensical or he's kind of just always been an asshole and him screaming that he hates Obi-Wan is not that different from what you've seen before. Um so, yeah, it, it, what I found interesting was his actual turn, that physical turn we see is him killing Nate Gunray, <laughs> where we see him get the yellow eyes. And I'm like, A, we couldn't uh, have gone all, red lightsaber all, it, instead. Newt Gunray. Newt Gunray. Do you yeah. know why it's Newt, by the way? No. Named after Newt Gingrich because uh, he was because wow. George Lucas hated Newt Gingrich. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'll move there. Sorry. Move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he um that that's his turn. That's somehow the bridge too far. Not choking out his wife, not killing a bunch of children, not slaughtering the rest of the Jedi Order, but killing Newt. I don't I don't know why that was the choice. I don't know why the yellow eyes was also the stylistical choice. You know, give him a red lightsaber. But again, maybe that lore hadn't come into play yet, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it just, again, it makes no sense. It's, it just happens. Yeah, I always feel like after Mace Windu dies, he feels like he now has no choice. Yeah. That he's like, oh, no, I made this mistake, and now there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. But it... it I mean, he could. He doesn't have to become a Sith. But I, I feel like he's almost like, oh, shucks. He's falling out the window now. Mm-hmm. I guess I see, have to go to the dark side. See, to me, what what doesn't make any sense about that, and I agree with you, Liz, that's exactly how it's presented. But, like, two minutes after that, he says to Padme, like, I'm stronger than, than the Chancellor. I'll, I'll take him down. Like, he's still super cocky about his abilities, Mm-hmm. But he's not cocky enough to do anything about it. 
I think that there's there's an, there's absolutely no logic in the idea that you know like one of the things we again we were always told that the Sith are are so selfish and they only care about themselves. Well, if that's the case, then he, then if Anakin saw himself as being able to take down Palpatine, he would have done so. If he was truly a Sith, then then yeah. he then he would have acted in the selfish way. But he doesn't do that because we're never given any real reason to believe he's actually a Sith. It's just it's so poorly handled. Yeah. Yeah, and I always assume he's really just lying to Padme, almost just telling her what she wants to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Um, there, there's just like I said, I, I don't think that this is uh, a a super successful telling of the Anakin Skywalker mythology, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I still think that this movie, like the fact that we even have thoughts about. How it could be better to me is a big difference in how we talked about Attack of the Clones, where a lot of Attack of the Clones is just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> why is it, why <laughs> yeah, is this happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I feel like this movie, while we may disagree with a lot of it, the sort of bones of a good story are there. It's just very mm-hmm. poorly fleshed out. But mm-hmm. they could have made like that story could have been the entire trilogy. Yes, you could have jumped in mid to end Clone Wars and done this because the movies completely jump over the gravity of creating a, you know, shit ton of life forms that you then slaughter needlessly. (laughs) Like nobody cares about that. The morality of that's never approached. So why even bother looking at their creation? Just jump into the war or wars, whichever you prefer. (laughs) And then, and then move on the story from there. And then you could have actually told something, had a downfall. You could have seen Anakin, he claims again and again to Padme that he's gaining powers from embracing the dark side. But we don't see that at all. Because again, all he does is slice people in half with a lightsaber. That's not <laughs> that's not any different than the power he had before. Right. Um, also, how long is this movie supposed to take place? Not very long, which is crazy. So she's already like eight months pregnant when this happens. So like here, what? There's a clue to that because she says to Anakin, "Like it feels like we've been apart for so long." Mm-hmm. So I guess you know the idea is that the last time they were together, they um, you know. Th- they went to go see the Max Rebo band together. They had a little too much to drink. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then baby makes four. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, so I, I guess the idea is that, you know, that happened long enough ago that she's significantly pregnant by the time she tells mm-hmm. him. Right? Gotcha. Yeah, maybe? because it, the, the whole thing seems to take place over a matter of days. Yeah, because even if she was, like, four or five months pregnant, like, that's, you know, still a few months. Yeah, and I, I don't know what type of procedure the booba robot did underneath <laughs> that cone at the end of the film. But, I mean, so she didn't have to be a full nine months, you know, but yeah, they basically those, say babies that... were, those babies were three weeks old when they got pulled out of her, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they, they basically do say, like, <laughs> we have to get the babies out because she's dying, right? So, so presumably... Yeah. She did not carry them to full term. 
Mm-hmm. Um, again, like we should we should never be thinking about this because who cares? But the movie does such a poor job that you you question everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the the one last thing I want to say, and then I want to hear any other notes you guys have before we talk about sort of the prequels as a as a collective here, is uh, something I never noticed before. I, I'm sure I noticed it in the moment, but I've never sort of taken note of it before when thinking about this movie after watching it is the fact that they bring back the duel of the fates theme mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Um, Yoda and Palpatine are fighting. And I actually really like that because in a way Yoda is at that time, the Jedi equivalent of Palpatine where Palpatine is sort of the, the, you know, the, the, the master in the situation. And because the Jedi are down to, in Yoda's eyes, just a few people, it's almost like this is as close to a one-on-one Sith versus Jedi for all the for all the marbles uh, mm-hmm. battle as you can have, and so I like them using that that really anthemic piece of music for that scene. But I wish that there was something done to it to indicate that it's a little bit different. It, it just it feels to me like. Like Lucas is trying to tell everybody, or, or John Williams or whoever decided to do that, like, hey, look, this is important. This means something. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the music doesn't. There, there's not enough nuance to the theme. Like, if there was just, just a slightly different version of the theme, I think it would have worked way better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love yeah. that piece of music. That's the best. It is. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. But the best thing the prequels gave us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that line from Obi Wan. No. Yeah. 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 So, Liz, um, what do you want to say about yeah. th- about these move about this movie before we wrap up? Oh, uh, well, what do I want to say? Um, I I think it was the best of the prequels. Um, it entertained me the most, perhaps because of its ridiculousness. Um, I I guess after watching these three movies, I I, I can't say I'm a fan of the prequels. <laughs> we couldn't carry the other two on its shoulders and this itself wasn't all that great either yeah <laughs> matt what did you think after this rewatch um i i um i still am not a fan of it i would say and you can disagree i think phantom menace is a better film minus the um the pod racing if you snipped the pod race scene out and maybe gave a little sprinkle more of Qui-Gon then it'd be a okay film um but I saw I I I enjoyed re-watching that movie even as visually terrible as it was to this and not just because of the goofy shit like Anakin I mean Obi-Wan jumping out of a closet to murder his friend um, or what, what does Mustafar export? They seem to just pick up lava in buckets. And then I assume make it into rocks, even though the rest of the planet is rocks made out of lava. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just dumb like that. Um, and although Phantom Menace has some of those dumb moments, I think it just, it feels more, I don't know, exciting and different. This just feels very boring 
I think in watching, it's like, okay, this is all the Star Wars stuff that you know had to happen. Like, it just feels like it's it's happening because it had to. Um, and I think it just takes away from any real, like, drive I have to like the movie. I understand that. Um, I I still think that the good in this movie is way better than the good in The Phantom Menace. Even if the bad in this movie, well, it's just it's just such different bad, right? Like when I'm thinking about the Phantom Menace, the things that I'm thinking about are, you know, fucking Jar Jar and all the other racist caricatures that show up in that movie. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. And I'm thinking about the stupid inclusion of things like midichlorians, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, why they don't just get Shmi out of <laughs> out of servitude and I, I'm, just, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm mad at very different parts of that movie to me the problem with this movie is that and I don't know how this is possible but I distinctly know I know this this isn't an invented memory when I was like 10 or so I knew that there was I knew order 66 I knew that name Mm-hmm. And I knew that Obi-Wan and Anakin fought on a volcano. And that's how he became Darth Vader. Like, that stuff mm-hmm. was enough, whether, whether it was in a novel or in, like, a Star Wars encyclopedia, there was something that I was aware of with that stuff. And so I feel like the problem with this movie is that this is the first movie that we know what has to happen in it because mm-hmm. we know where the story's going. Like, for the... Yeah, you know the broad strokes in the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, but you don't really know where the story is going. You know what has to happen here, and so because you know what has to happen, you're really critical of how they do it. I can see that. Yeah, uh, and so you know you might say, well, that that wasn't done all that well. It should have been done this way. The reason you have that opinion is because you know that what's on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this film suffers from not living up to the expectations that exist in our heads. Whereas I think that the other films don't live up to being decent films at all, and so mm-hmm. to me, to me, that's the difference between them. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough though. It's it's. What's hard is that I think there's a lot of good stuff in the prequels. I think there's good characters that are introduced sometimes. I think there there are good scenes sometimes but it's all it's all filtered through a lot of shit that you have to sift through to get to it like i I, i'm a big bob dylan fan right and there's a there's about a 10 year period of bob dylan's music where there's a lot of stuff that if you can get to it is good but you have to sift through a bunch of garbage other songs and you have to pretend it wasn't made in the 80s with like crappy synthesizers like you have to it takes work to appreciate some of that stuff. And I think it takes work mm-hmm. to appreciate the prequels. But yeah. I want to. I don't want to not like these. I don't want a third of the Star Wars films <clears throat> to, to be things I don't like. I've tried. And I think when you, when I was younger, I had this knee-jerk reaction against them. I didn't want to interface with them at all because it, it was a it was disrespect, man, or whatever it was. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't I don't feel that way anymore. I just see the missed opportunity in all of yeah. this, and that's what bums me out more than anything else now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I feel the same way. I've been desperate to enjoy these movies. Yeah, I, I think it, it and it makes you face that idea. Like it's it's hard in some ways to be a Star Wars fan and realize that of your core, like it is a movie franchise more than any before anything else. Right. And so few of those movies are really that good. Yeah, you I, know. I mean, and, there's and, what th- ten of them now. Yeah, or ten, right? Uh, no, no 11. 11. 11 of them. Eleven of them, and how many of those can you really be like? You know what? One of my favorite movies. Gotta watch it. No one says about Solo. No one says about any of these first three. People say it maybe about one or two of the sequel trilogy, like. Yeah, I mean, and if you're a real asshole, two out of the three of the original. (laughs) Hey, that's me. I'm a real asshole. Um, (laughs) I mean, I I would say that A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Rogue One, The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi. The half, that less than half, because there's 11 movies. So those five, I would say, are legitimately good movies. Mm -hmm. I I will say that half of Revenge of the Sith. Half of Return of the Jedi and half of Solo are also good movies. And I, I would say a quarter of um, Rise of Skywalker. I don't know. Maybe. Rose Tico. Yeah, but Rose is almost nothing in, in Rise of Skywalker. One, one eighth. <laughs> um, you know, I just... And I think that Revenge of the Sith... If you get really into the Clone Wars stuff, that that helps a little bit. I think mm-hmm. if you've read some of the novels, that helps a little bit. I think if you've played some mm-hmm. of the video games, it helps a little bit. But but again, like we shouldn't, you shouldn't have to put this many caveats on a movie. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to get through seven seasons of a TV show and then five seasons of another before you can appreciate a character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. It just. And again, it's other people making up for the gaps that are left from these movies. Yeah, I mean that's. I guess that's the one takeaway is that we live in a media culture where we we champion the auteur, the one person who does it all. But mm-hmm. I think Star Wars is is the is the like very loud argument for not doing things in an auteur way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you look at like most of the good Star Wars in our in our adulthood, and and I'll use that term loosely. I I will say from the prequels until now, and I know that you know we're, we're different ages, and so I I don't think I was necessarily an adult at sixteen, but you know from from the time that we could be critical observers of star wars almost the best star wars stuff has been done by people who are outside of the like the core filoni did amazing things in clone wars and rebels and he was Mm -hmm. never considered the primary star wars architect of his time he was he was second banana to george lucas ryan johnson will always be considered the second banana to J.J. Abrams because he only did one of those films. <laughs> you know, Rogue One was plagued by reshoots and script changes and all of that, and yet it manages to be maybe, 
the most like consistent Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 incredible to me the the lengths to which the outsiders have saved Star Wars in so many ways. Yeah, in the Mandalorian, I mean, John Favreau uh, yeah. is Favreau. you know is is not. The the number I'd say that now, if anything, at TV, Filoni is the number one guy, but Favreau is the one who really made the Mandalorian special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I would say we talked a little bit about that. The Mandalorian outshone the sequel trilogy by far. Yeah, I I still think, and this is just maybe my like Ryan Johnson fanboy thing. I, I still think that the Last Jedi is the best bit of Star Wars media mm-hmm. we've gotten since the Disney buyout. Yeah. Um but the Mandalorian's pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about like pop culture, popular oh, yes. oh, consumption yes. that did more for Star Wars than the actual f- f- films did, which is wild for a film series. Yes. Mhm. Yeah. So last thing I want to ask you guys, I I'm, I'm going to give you guys a hard task here. You got to rank the three prequels. No, I was like, are we going to talk about his burnt penis again? I don't want to. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about his burnt penis again. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come up last time? Somebody tweeted at Ryan Johnson. Oh, yes, yes. That, that was it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he, re- he referred to it as canon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, for me... My least favorite of the prequels by far is Attack of the Clones. Same. Same. Uh Liz, what is your number two? Um my number two, I'm gonna say, is Phantom Menace. That is also my number two. And Matt, yours is Revenge of the Sith? Yes. Okay. I think that to me this is a this is a reasonable conversation to be had between Star Wars fans, of which of these two is better. My friend Matt Garcia is a firm believer that Clones is the best prequel, which... Whoa! Yeah, I, I told him that's as unreasonable as voting for Trump. Um, it's just... It's it's irresponsible to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's really bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, but no, it's... Um, I'm glad we did this. Me too. And, and yeah. I and I wonder if like one of the reasons that I think I love the Star Wars trilogy so much is because I just watched it so much as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if we did this, you know, I'm not saying every year, but if every couple of years we revisit these movies, if we'll continue to get more joy out of them or if we've already like got if we've already sucked all the marrow out of this bone. Yeah, and I always wonder if you have to be a certain age to watch a movie that often yes. and get some sort of joy out of it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that yeah. too. Yeah. Because again, I think and the problems with these films would not be fixed with a remaster. Like a lot of what plagued the original trilogy was just kind of looking dated. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually just looked like old Battlestar Galactica. Um with those gaps fixed that makes them much more appealing to a new generation. You can't fix what's broke in these three. This is actually a a fun, a fun thing to talk about. Have you guys watched any of the fan edits of the prequels? 
I have not. So no. there, there are a number of of fan edits. I gotta look up the name of one of them. I'll, I'll keep talking, but um, like uh, <laughs> supposedly uh, Topher Grace. That's his name, right? The actor from that '70s show. Yeah, Is that yeah. his name. Uh, apparently, he um, he had done like a uh, a three hour edit of the three prequels. Whoa! Um, hmm. That he would show people at his house, like at parties and stuff. Um, but so so there are um, yeah. So that that one is known as Star Wars Episode Three Point Five. And so um, he he took it. So sorry, he made it one eighty-five minute film. Wow, which is, which is really short. Uh, there, there's an edit called the anti-cheese edit. I haven't watched that one, but that basically pulls out as much of like the Jar Jar stuff um, mm-hmm. as possible. Uh, there's um, where is it? Well. Have you watched any of these edits? So the the one I'm trying to find the name of the one uh, that I watched. I watched one, and the way that they get away with it, and it's 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 pretty genius the way they do it. I think is it the blackened mantle? That might be it. They do it by using the Japanese version of the film. And in doing so, they can do subtitles of anything they want. And so you hmm. can change the dialogue because you're doing oh. subtitles in a way that you can't do in a, uh, you know, just in re-editing the stuff. And so, yeah. um, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to find it here. Yeah, it's called, it's called The Blackened Mantle. And... Um, I want to say it's it's. Let's see if I can find how long it is here. Um, it's 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 one film, and it's maybe um. Hang on, I think it's on YouTube. Oh wow! Mm. Uh, if if this is the one, I th- hmm. See, these all have different names, but let's see. This one. Blah, 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 blah. This is terrible radio. Um. Let me find it. If I could find mm-hmm. it, would you guys be interested in watching that for an episode? Yes. Yeah, I could watch it. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I think that would be a really interesting way to maybe cap off our prequel discussion. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. And it also shows like the, the length to which Star Wars fans will go to to, to try to get something... Like out of these movies, like I, I think we all just want it. We 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 want to love these. Um, and you know it's just it's just hard to do so. So, um, but yeah, all right. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a few weeks with uh, maybe this, maybe something else. I'm not sure yet, but we'll figure it out. Uh, until then, remember the Force will be with you always. Thank you.